0: Good morning church i hope you're all doing well today i'm sorry to say that i came down with a fever late last night and given the circumstances it's probably best that i not be there in person this morning so i'm recording this video instead i'm really disappointed i was really looking forward to being together in worship today but alas here we are so If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're headed. We'll be picking up right where we left off last week in verse 35. And so as you're turning there, a couple of weeks ago, we entered the season of Advent together. A time of waiting and anticipation for the arrival of Jesus. Just as scripture tells of God's people waiting for their Messiah to come, we too are a people who are waiting for his second coming. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking specifically at Mary, who was the very first one to receive this good news that the Messiah is coming. The long-awaited promises would all be fulfilled and so each week, over the past couple of weeks, we've been slowly meditating on each of Mary's responses to the angel Gabriel's announcement to her. When he first appeared to her, we saw that his words were much more than just a friendly greeting, but actually the beginning of a prophetic call on her life and so she was greatly troubled and and wondered what all this meant what was going on and as we reflected on this we considered how the good news is meant to trouble us out of sin and suffering into hope and new life as we wait for its fulfillment And last week, we saw the next exchange when Gabriel elaborates on this prophetic calling. And he begins with the words, Do not be afraid. And he goes on to describe how all of God's promises are about to be fulfilled through Mary. And so, after this, Mary's second response is a question How will this be? Right? She responds with the humility and honesty of a question. And as we reflected on this last week, we considered how we too are invited to honestly and humbly bring our questions to God in the midst of our waiting. And so today, we are looking at the third exchange between Gabriel and Mary, and we're going to consider Mary's third response together. After wondering and asking, she answers God's call. So let's read Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of this season. We thank you for uh, the gift of technology like this so that we can stay connected even in the midst of of sickness and all that is going on in the world. God, I pray that as we consider your word this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So let's jump right in, right? Just like the last couple of weeks, I want to look at what Gabriel said How Mary responds, and then consider what that might mean for us today. What Gabriel said, how Mary responds, and what that means for us today. So, first, let's start with what Gabriel says. Now, remember, we left off last week with Mary asking a question How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, as we considered her question last week, we saw that this is not just a surface-level question, that she's not looking for answers or for control. Rather, this is a deeper question that is rooted in her desire to serve. Unlike Zechariah earlier in chapter 1, she doesn't say, how can I know? But rather, how will this be? Right? There's that big difference. In other words, okay... So how are we going to do this, right? especially since you said, I'm going to have a son. I mean, I know how the birds and the bees work and I'm not there, so now what, right? This seems to be what she is asking. And this is the question that Gabriel responds to. And I say responds to intentionally because he doesn't exactly answer it, does he? I mean, Gabriel says to her, oh, well, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh, right. Of course, Holy Spirit overshadowing. Right. Perfect. Clear as mud, right? Uh, But Gabriel's response shows us something, I think, about the kingdom of God and the call of God. You see, God invites our questions as we humbly and honestly seek him. But God does not always offer us answers. Sometimes our questions are not meant to lead us to nice, tidy answers, but to God himself, to experiencing holy mystery. Right, Mystery is something that cannot really be answered, but can only be experienced. And this is what Gabriel speaks to here. The mystery of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. But let's look a little bit deeper at what Gabriel says here. Because though mysterious, there are a couple of allusions here that I think point to something, right? So the first thing that he says is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And this is a big theme throughout the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which are both by the same author and tell one large story, right? The Holy Spirit is constantly active and at work within the story that Luke tells in the Gospel, and then of course there's the book of Acts which opens with Jesus promising the Holy Spirit, and then there's the great story in chapter 2 of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on all the disciples. And that seems to be one of the allusions here. Gabriel uses the same phrase that Jesus used in Acts chapter 1. When he tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. right? Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. So in all the narrative of Luke and Acts, Mary is the first one that the Holy Spirit enters, that the Holy Spirit fills. Now, the next phrase that Gabriel uses is even more mysterious. He says the power of the most high will overshadow you this almost feels ominous right but once more there's possibly an allusion in this to another place in luke's narrative in luke chapter 9 we see the story of the transfiguration when Jesus goes up the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus suddenly becomes bright as a flash of lightning, and Moses and Elijah appear beside him. And then it says, a cloud appeared and covered them. Right? And then a voice from the cloud speaks saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now the word used to describe that cloud covering them is the same word that is used here to describe the Most High overshadowing, Mary, it's the same word. Some scholars also see in this an allusion to the cloud that filled the tabernacle and the temple throughout the Old Testament signifying the presence of the Lord, God with his people. God is going to be with his people once more in a whole new way through Mary. Now, one of the things that this language about covering and overshadowing highlights is the reality that while the calling of God is absolutely amazing and incredible, it's often not a flashy thing, right? It's often not a big, flashy, popular thing. This word covered or overshadowed speaks to a certain amount of obscurity, a certain amount of hiddenness. Now, of course, now, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, we're reading about the amazing thing that happened with Mary. But at the time, this amazing news was unknown. To anyone but her. She was the only one who knew. Later on, the church would celebrate Mary and the virgin birth. But at the time, this supposedly virgin birth was at best questionable and would likely have led to isolation for Mary. We'll talk about this more in just a little bit, but it's important to notice that much of what God does and calls us to do happens in secret. Not big and flashy, not popular celebrity, but secret and obscure. This is the overshadowing that is spoken of. Something else that we can see here is that this points to the identity of Jesus, right? Both the covering of the cloud at the transfiguration and the overshadowing that Gabriel speaks of point to the identity of Jesus. At the transfiguration, a voice speaks from the cloud saying, This is my son. And then, after sharing about overshadowing, Gabriel says... The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Right, This is who Jesus is, the Son of God, which on the one hand is a title that's often attributed to a king in the line of David throughout the Old Testament, and surely it means that here. But on the other hand, this phrase, this title, Son of God, is beginning to take on new spiritual depths. Because based on what Gabriel says here, Jesus is not only a son of God, based on the natural lineage of the line of David, but he is the son of God, based on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus does not only come as a leader of God's people, he comes as God himself In the flesh to redeem all people. This is who Jesus is, the Son of God. And then, after speaking of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High and this identity of Jesus, Gabriel goes on to say one more piece of news. Because you know Mary is undoubtedly amazed at the wonder and mystery of all of this, but Gabriel goes on to say, hey, not only will this amazing thing happen to you, another amazing thing has happened to your relative, Elizabeth, right? Everyone thought she was too old to have a child, but she's already six months pregnant. And then in verse 37, Gabriel declares, for no word from God, Will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Now, this verse stood out to me when I first read it as I was reading it in the NIV, which we're reading from today, because traditionally this verse has been translated for nothing is impossible with God. Right? But in in this translation, it's no word from God will ever fail. Now, both of these are faithful translations of the Greek. Underneath it, I, I went and looked to try to figure this out. What's going on? These feel very different to one another. But it turns out the word used here for word in this translation can also be translated thing. Right? So it's word or thing. And so one translation says no word from God will fail. The traditional translation says no thing with God is impossible. Right? Both of these are accurate, but what this translation, the NIV that we've just read from, brings out is a kind of a re-emphasis of all that Gabriel has said so far. God's promises will be fulfilled. God's promises will be fulfilled. No word from God will ever fail. And this declaration speaks to the heart of the season of Advent. As we wait on the Lord, we can trust that no word from God will ever fail. What God has promised will come to pass. We need only be patient. Trust in this word, trust in God's promises. This translation emphasizes this all the more. No word from God will ever fail. But something else that this translation does is it also connects what Gabriel says to how Mary responds. Gabriel declares no word from God will ever fail. And then in verse 38, Mary answers by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Right, so she responds by affirming that in fact, no word from God will ever fail. So may this word be fulfilled in me. That's what she says. Now, much of what Gabriel has said so far is mysterious. All right, the Holy Spirit overshadowing, on and on. But one thing seems to be pretty clear. Joseph was nowhere to be found in his answer, nor any other man for that matter. So when Mary asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? Or more literally, how will this be since I have not known a man? That's literally what the Greek says here. Gabriel's response is, there won't be a man, right? This will not be a natural birth from relations with a man. It will be a supernatural birth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it is to this that Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. Now, what all went in to this response from Mary, this answer that she gives after all that has gone between her and Gabriel? Well, Bible scholar Scott McKnight emphasizes how great a risk Mary's response really was. He points out that she was young, and as the text says, she was pledged to be married, which in that culture was far more of a formal thing than engagement is in ours. Like, once you're at the point of being pledged to being married, you're basically married. You just haven't done the ceremony yet. But to break that, is, is a violation of trust, right? That's the culture that they're in. It's much more formal than our sense of, of engagement. So as a young woman pledged to be married, her sudden and unexpected pregnancy would have been seen by the community as just an act of sexual impropriety. But not only this, uh, it, it would be seen as an act of adultery right not not just kind of sexual impropriety but actually adultery a outright betrayal of her pledge to joseph the old testament law lays out a publicly humiliating process for a situation just like this where a woman is suspected of adultery she would be brought before the priest tried if found guilty which uh, it, it was very likely that she would be, uh, she would be declared a curse among the people and then brought out to the town gate and stoned to death for her betrayal. Now surely, as a young girl growing up in a thoroughly Jewish world, being taught the law, Mary would have known this risk. And yet she answers Gabriel, with an affirmative, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I mean, surely she could have protested. She could have said, Is there another way? Like, can't we wait on this for my marriage to Joseph to go through, right? But but she doesn't protest. Instead, with words of dedication and trust, I am the Lord's servant. May it be. Mary risks her very life as she trusts the Lord and follows him and steps into this calling that she has been given. She risks her very life. And if she's not outright put on trial and put to death, she will at least be ridiculed and isolated by rumors of what happened. But why does she take this risk? It's because she trusts that no word from God will ever fail. And so she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be. Scott McKnight concludes with this. He writes, Mary and Faith consented to God's plan. Mary and Faith began to carry a cross before Jesus was even born. Mary began to suffer for the Messiah before the Messiah suffered. This is the risk that Mary took by trusting God, by answering his call. There's another scholar that put it this way. They writes, Mary could have remained in the realm of the controllable, She could have balked at Gabriel's suggestion, but instead she commits herself to the ways of God. Her acceptance of this call makes her, in Luke's storyline, the very first person to risk everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. Mary becomes the first of all believers. Wow. So one one of the books I've been reading for this series describes Mary's words, I am the Lord's servant, as offering her freedom to God as a gift. And it goes on to say that when we offer our freedom back to God as a gift, when we live as servants of the Lord like Mary did, our lives are not deprived, but much enriched. Our lives are not deprived, but much enriched when we give ourselves over to all the purposes of God. And so, as we come to a close here, I want to ask you, what is God calling you to? What is God calling you to? What does it look like for you to answer God's call in your life? Gabriel came and announced good news to Mary. And after wondering and asking, she answers with faith. This very same good news has been announced to you as well. Jesus has come, he has proclaimed the kingdom of God. Through his death and resurrection, he has made a way for us. And now he calls us to follow him what does that following look like in our life? What does it look like in your life? You see, one response is to trust in Jesus, to be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and be born again. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard this kind of invitation. And that invitation stands today. We are called to trust Jesus, give our lives to him, and be born again. But there's even more to following Jesus than just this. We are not only called to be born again, but as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, like Mary, we are also called to give birth, to bring new life into the world. And so, what is God calling you to give birth to? What life is God inviting you to bring into the world? Maybe it's literally pouring into some of the young children within our church, or pouring into your own children and grandchildren at home. These next few weeks are often filled with holidays and time together. How might you bring life to the places where you are, pouring out and in to those people who you're with? Maybe it's packing up boxes of food for Wildwood students to have over their winter break, right? There's an opportunity to do that after service today. Maybe it's taking a risk and reaching out to that stranger that you've come across to offer a word of encouragement or hope. Maybe there's something even harder or riskier that feels like it might really cost you something. Whatever it is, Mary shows us the way. And so when God calls what will our answer be? May we be servants of the Lord. May his word be fulfilled in us and through us. Amen.